Welcome to this episode of Strategy Simplified. Today, I talk with Emily Brierly, the head of MBA recruitment and admissions at Cambridge Judge Business School. We talk about the value of an MBA, how you know when the right time is for you to pursue an MBA, what sets Cambridge Judge apart in the sea of top MBA programs, the value of a global network, and top application tips for how to break into Cambridge Judge and other top programs. Let's dive in. Emily, I'm so excited to have you on Strategy Simplified today. Uh, Before we really dive into the conversation, where does this podcast find you today? So I am sat in my office uh, in Cambridge, UK, at Cambridge Business School. Uh, It's surprisingly, actually, is it that surprising? It's a sunny day. (laughs) Uh, Wow. unseasonably warm autumn, uh, which I think a lot of our international students are enjoying. Um, So yeah, that's where I'm speaking to you from. Emily, that's probably the biggest sales pitch you can make for Cambridge. Is it, it's an unseasonably warm autumn and it's sunny outside. So My work here we, is could, done. we could just end the conversation right yeah. there. <laughs> well, but before we learn more about Judge and the admissions process and what the experience is like at this really unique MBA program, I'm curious if you can introduce us to yourself uh, and just share a little bit about your background with me and with our audience. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, thank you for inviting me to join the podcast. Um, I'm delighted to be here. So my name is Emily Briley. I am the head of MBA admissions and recruitment at CJBS. So I've worked in higher education in the UK for oof, about 10 years now. Wow. can't believe it's been that long. Um, and it's mostly been in admissions and stu- student recruitment um, with a specific focus on international student recruitment. Other than a very uh, brief stint as a librarian about seven years ago, uh, which is actually what brought me uh, to Cambridge. Um, You know, the University of Cambridge has over 100 libraries. So if you're going to be a librarian anywhere, it's a pretty good place to be. Um, I moved back into admissions and recruitment about five years ago, um, where I worked in the University Central Cambridge Admissions Office um, for undergrads. Um, And I was part of a very small team and helped set up uh, the university's first international student recruitment team. So that was a really, really great experience um, to be a part of. And then finally, I moved to Cambridge Business School um, into the MBA admissions and recruitment team um, about four years ago. um, And I'm delighted to have um, had the opportunity to head the team for the past year. Wonderful. Well, before we dive into all of our questions about CJBS, uh, let's talk about the MBA more broadly, if you don't mind. So uh, from your perspective, which I would say is an expert perspective, what should candidates think about when determining if an MBA is right for them? Because it's that time of year, everyone's starting to think about applications and should I you know, leave my job to go back to school? Uh, what should folks be thinking about? Do you have a framework that you recommend they use as they go through that decision-making process? Uh, Can you just share some wisdom with us? Yeah, sure. And that's a really great question. And actually, everyone's circumstances will be unique because everyone has different priorities. You know, if you have a family or a partner, you know, they're also part of the decision making process. So what I would say is research is really key here. So it's essential that candidates are looking at the different offerings of schools to determine which is the right fit for them. And not only during the program, so the curriculum, the student experience, but also afterwards and their future career. So, you know, which program is going to help them have the biggest impact in their career. Another key thing um, candidates might want to think about, which I think is quite important, is location. So this is likely to be a key motivator, um, particularly when you're thinking about your career um, and your network. 
So the top business schools around the world, you know, they offer global MBA programs. You'll be able to be part of a global and diverse cohort, whichever school you go to. And they all provide the opportunity for global mobility. Um, however, I would say that if you know that you want to work in a certain country after you finish the MBA, so like the UK, and it makes a lot more sense to target schools in that country. Um, you know, for Cambridge, a lot of the projects you'll be doing, they'll be with Cambridge-based startups or, you know, com companies in the UK. Whilst we do work with, you know, multinational global companies, you know, that's where you're going to be building your network. So it makes sense to kind of narrow it down early on if you, if you have a specific post-MBA location in mind. Um, I guess another consideration is thinking about one year versus two year. So you do find that the US model tends to be the more traditional two-year MBA program, whereas the European framework is generally one year or 15 months. And there are pros and cons to both, and it's really just about what is the right fit for you. Um, there seems to be a general trend that the one-year program um, it attracts students with a higher number of years' work experience, and you notice that the average age in each cohort is perhaps higher than, than the US two-year two -year model. Um, and I think the reason being is that we get a lot of students wanting to make a big change in their career, you know, a big transition. And with with a higher number of years work experience, you don't want, you know, you don't want to take more than one year out and have to fund a program for two years before, you know, you kind of start your new career. You want to, to start as soon as possible. Um, so thinking about the type of cohort you want to be a part of, you know, what the network will be like. Um, that's also a really important um, thing to consider when you're looking at MBA programs. Um, and finally, I would say, well, I'd strongly encourage applicants, um, think about the values and the ethos of all the schools you might want to apply to. You know, do these align with yours? Is that a place that you can see yourself? You know, an MBA, an MBA is a lot of money. It's a huge investment in both your time and your money. So you want to ensure that you're picking the right school and program and location to, to get the biggest return on investment. Absolutely. I think that's a really comprehensive and wise answer. And I want to dig into a couple of things that you said there, Emily. Sure. The first thing that you mentioned is the importance of research. And when I run across a lot of prospective candidates, I think that their definition of research is, well, I'm going to do a lot of Googling. I'm sure that you mean something different. Can you give us some best practices for research as you're uh, examining prospective MBA programs? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you have the kind of um, obvious things like attending MBA events, whether these are recruitment events with fair providers such as MBA tours, so meeting schools who are out on tour, you know, visiting your country or online events. Obviously, the push to COVID has uh, um, has meant that schools have have a have a more comprehensive online offering, um, which you know you can attend at any time, you know, wherever you are in the world. Speaking to admissions teams, really, really vital, particularly in terms of finding out about your eligibility. You know, a lot of schools have application fees. They're not cheap. And if you're applying to multiple schools, you want to make sure that, you know, your, your application will be considered, you know, before you make the application. Um, alumni and current students, um, you know, definitely try and speak to um, their, uh, them when possible. They are the best place to tell you about the experience. They've lived it, particularly in terms of the career's impact. Each school does have, um, you know, different ways they kind of um, uh, facilitate meetings with alumni and current students. So um, at Cambridge, we would facilitate that a bit later on in the admissions process. So if you're not sure, best to check with the schools you're interested in. Um, and then there's things like rankings. You know, some people put more emphasis on rankings. The FT is obviously a, a huge one. 
Um, but actually what we find and speaking to, you know, some of the students that have come to Cambridge, they, they, they find like the MBA forums, you know, podcasts like this have actually been the most beneficial to talk to other people who are going through the same process to share best practice. Um, and things like poets and quants, um, they post a lot, you know, about all the big MBA programs and students that have got come through the program. So they're also really great resources as well. Wonderful. One of the other things that you mentioned was the importance of a regional network or identifying which country or region you'd like your career to be based in and choosing an MBA program based off of that. I would imagine that one of the benefits of a program like CG, CJBS is that it, it gives you what I would call a global network. You get the, the regional strength. You also get the benefit of a global network. Would you say that that's accurate? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, when I'm saying about location, I don't want to limit people. You know, if you you might be want to study in the UK and then go off and work in Asia. You know, we had this amazing student a few years ago. I met him in Peru. He was an engineer. He came and studied at Cambridge and he's now a product manager for Shopee in um, Singapore. You know, uh, global, you know, you'll be able to, you know, do the triple jump if that's what you want to. I just, um, you know, the CJBS has a global reputation. The University of Cambridge has a global reputation. We have alumni all around the world. The cohorts themselves, very diverse. Um, in the current class, there's 46 nationalities um, for a class of 210. So yes, you will leave with a, with a global network. I just think if, if you know you want to be in a particular place afterwards, um, particularly in terms of if you're thinking about visas, if you require a visa, then you're kind of putting yourself in a bit better position if you're already in that country. But And it might just help narrow down where you apply if you really aren't sure. But please don't let that be, um, you know, a hindrance to applying to, you know, to schools elsewhere, because it really shouldn't be. It's just a suggestion if, if you have a specific place in mind. Um, that's just a tip. Absolutely. One factor among many. <laughs> yeah. So you've already started to mention some of the differentiating factors uh, of the Judge MBA experience, the uh, alumni network, the fact that there's 46 nationalities represented. Can you talk to us a little bit more about what in your eyes differentiates the program from other top programs? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we place a lot of emphasis on practical learning. And I would say that we are one of the most experiential MBA programs. So this idea of having real world impact is incredibly important to us. And this is demonstrated through the projects we offer throughout the year, the CVP, the GCP. Um, and this allows students to apply what they have learned in each term in the classroom to real life situations. I'd say another key differentiator is the network you will build. I know I've already kind of touched on this. Um, so we have around 200 students um, in each cohort. And we do think that this is the optimum class size to build meaningful relationships, you know, really get to know your classmates and develop a strong international network. Um, but also beyond the MBA network, you know, you are going to be a member of the University of Cambridge and a member of one of the 31 colleges. Um, so the great thing about the colleges is they're not organized by subject. They are multidisciplinary. So that's a really, really great and I guess unique. Can I say unique? <laughs> the other place also does it, but quite unique um, way to broaden your network and meet students studying a range of different subjects. And it will just add a completely different dimension to your time in the program. So you won't just be with other business school students. Um, and, you know, we've even had some MBAs go on and start businesses with students such as engineers um, that they meet in their in their college after the program. 
Um, and then finally, I do just want to say one other thing, which I was thinking about earlier, um, and I don't think it's something that we highlight enough, um, but I think something that sets us apart is the type of leaders we develop on the programme. So during the first and second term um, on the MBA, uh, our students take a core course called Management Praxis. Um, so the first term looks at you know team dynamics, team building, and the second term is very much on team leading. Um, but it's not just a, the course isn't just designed to develop you know just to develop leaders. It teaches students how to be a good leader, an ethical leader. This is always reflected in the feedback we get from companies about, you know, when our when our alumni go out and they work in companies, we receive fantastic feedback on the types of of leaders that we've nurtured on the program. And I always think that's a really, really wonderful thing to hear. Absolutely. Do you mind unpacking that a little bit more for us? What in in your mind or, or in the eyes of the program separates a good leader from a great leader or in... <laughs> an ethical leader from, you know, perhaps the the generic leader that every other program is developing? I think it really comes down to, and I'm very on brand with this, and this will crop up a lot, is the collaboration. You know, it's being a leader. Yes, a team needs a leader, but a leader is also part of that team. And how, as a leader, you, you manage that team, you navigate that team to you know, whatever the co company's objectives are or just the team's objectives are, I think that's a really, really key component. We actually have a um, question about collaboration on our um, on our application form. Um, and it's like, tell us about time when you're part of a team. And I'm always amazed at how many responses focus on the person as a leader. And yes, there is collaborative leadership and that's very important, but it's quite amazing how many people immediately jump to their role in a team as a leader rather than kind of their role in the team as just one of many. Um, so I'd say that that for me is kind of what, what sets, sets it apart. Mm, that's an important distinction. We'll be right back after this quick message from our sponsor. Hey, Strategy Simplified listeners. Did you know that today is a great day to start your own podcast? Whether you're looking for a new marketing channel, have a message you want to share with the world, or just think it would be fun to have your own talk show, podcasting is an easy, inexpensive and fun way to expand your reach online. And Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote and track your podcast. It's what I and the team here at Management Consulted use for Strategy Simplified. Your show can be online and listed in all the major podcast directories like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and more within minutes of finishing your recording. Podcasting isn't difficult when you have the right partners, and the team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. And as a special bonus, Buzzsprout is offering a $20 Amazon gift card sent to you after your second paid invoice. Sign up today for a Buzzsprout account through the link in the show notes. Emily, you mentioned programs like the CVP, the GCP. For those who aren't familiar with the acronyms, yes, can, you, can you talk to us? Can you talk to us about you know what those experiential learning programs are? And my assumption is that they're almost like mini consulting projects that students are staffed on. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but can you just talk to us about what the experiential learning looks like uh, inside the program? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mentioned these earlier as kind of one of our, you know, key differentiators. It's, it is an integral part of the Cambridge MBA. And we know from student feedback that these are really the highlight of the program for the students. 
Um, so the students undertake four projects throughout the year, um, and this really allows them to solidify what they've um, learned in each term and you know apply it to a real world situation. Back to the collaboration thing, three of them are group projects, um, and two of which are working for real companies or nonprofits. So I guess in some sense, yeah, they are almost staffed, at least for the global consult consulting project anyway. Um, in the summer term, the fourth term is an individual project and students can do a work placement, which is kind of like an internship, um, an individual project or a research paper. So the Cambridge Venture Project is the first project in the first term. And it's usually with a local startup um, or SME um, and students will be working on an innovative project. Um, there's some really, really fantastic and interesting projects for students to get involved in. Um, just a couple that always really stand out to me over the past few years. So we had one uh, group looking at developing a charitable infrastructure uh, to support families affected by rare neurotransmitter diseases, it's quite a mouthful. Um, and another group were looking at spatial AI and they were identifying product market fit in the robotics and drones industry. So the CVP really complements um, management praxis, which I've already mentioned in, in the first term, when your focus is on team dynamics, team building. So you're already assigned to a study group when, when you arrive to start the program, um, which you'll work on with uh, your CVP with. Um, and these are engineered to be as diverse as possible. Um, so you'll be working with peers from a range of different backgrounds um, and industries. Um, and that project's a really great introduction to Silicon Fen. Um, and many of our students, you know, keep in contact with their client throughout the year. In the second term, um, the students will work on the global consulting project for about a month at the end of the second term. Um, and they'll work as a group to deliver for the client. So you'll be you'll be working on a real live project uh, for a company. Um, so, you know, if a company's looking at going into a new market, is it financially viable? You know, do they want to do that? But a group of our MBAs would look into that and then, you know, report back to the company and give their recommendations and their findings. And, you know, companies make real um, decisions based on, you know, what our students tell them. So it's a really, really fantastic um, project. And, it, and obviously, this is something you can put on your CV and, and speak about later on um, with, with uh, potential employees. Um, this can be based in the UK or potentially overseas. Um, and we've had students work with global companies such as Lego, Patagonia, uh, with NGOs such as the WHO um, and the UN. Um, and, you know, some summer individual projects um, and uh, work placements have come, you know, have come out as a result of the GCP. So it's kind of spin off from that. So it's a really great way to showcase yourself to an employer um, that you might want to work with, you know, post MBA. Um, we have a projects team that sources a portfolio of these, um, but students can source their own. Um, and something that I always think is really, really lovely and just like really testimony to the like strong network we have at Cambridge is that you'll get a student who perhaps works for a company and they know that a peer wants to perhaps work with them afterwards. So they'll speak to their former company and try and source them a project for them. So I just think that's just a really nice kind of, uh, just really encapsulate kind of the community uh, we have at Cambridge. Um, and then in the third term, you do the board impact project. Um, and this ties in with your concentration choice um, and you'll present your findings as a group uh, to a simulated executive board. Um, but really the projects are there to allow students to gain real world experience you know a lot of our students want to make a big transition and it's really difficult if you don't have any experience 
um, you know, in that area. So it does provide them with those real world examples that they can later draw on in interviews. To me, that's one of the biggest differentiators of the program. It's one of my favorite parts of the program is the focus on experiential learning. Uh, I, I place a lot of value in classroom learning, but nothing beats real world experience. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, if you, you know, you're basically, it's like having a job interview on the spot, you know, in a GCP, you perform well. Sure. Do you want to do a work placement with us? We know you can do, do the, you know, we know what your abilities are and we know that you'll do a good job. So absolutely. I agree. So Emily, you're on Strategy Simplified. It's the world's largest consulting podcast. So you had to know that I was going to ask you specifically <laughs> about breaking into management consulting, you know, uh, after the judge MBA experience. So can you just talk to us about, you know, what percentage of the typical class goes into management consulting? Who are the top firms that recruit MBAs from Cambridge? And, you know, is this a good uh, transition point for prospective candidates if the goal is, I want to do consulting post MBA. Yeah, no, of course. Um, yeah, so moving into consulting, you know, strategy management consulting, still a very common motivation um, for undertaking an MBA. I do just want to flag something at this point because um, something I always encourage students to do is to go into an MBA with an open mind. You know, you get a lot of students join the program with a very fixed career objective. But actually, once they're on the program, you know, they're exposed to a range of different you know, industries and functions that perhaps they haven't come across before. Um, and it's not uncommon for students to go in a completely different direction at the end of the MBA. I'm not trying to discourage anyone from going into consulting in any way whatsoever, but um, definitely always just keep an open mind and, and be open to new ventures when you start your program because you'll be amazed at what you come across. Um, but yeah, so we survey our class, um, each class three months after, you know, finishing the program about their jobs. And the latest employment report, 25% um, of the cohort went into consulting. Um, and this is pretty typical year on year, at least for the last few years. Of those, 70% came from a non-consulting background. So really testimony to, you know, if you're looking at making that big transition, you don't have that experience. You know, it, it is possible to, to, to do that and make that move. 56% um, of those who went into consulting of the 25% overall, um, went into strategy or management consulting. And again, this is pretty typical for our cohort each year. So just over half um, of those going into consulting go, go into strategy or, or management. Um, the top recruiters uh, were McKinsey, BCG and OCNC. What I would say is we are a relatively small MBA program compared to some of our peers, um, and we never have huge numbers of students just at one particular company. Um, the careers team objectives is to help students achieve their post MBA goals, regardless of what they are, not simply to see how many, you know, how many people we can get into MBB. Absolutely. Well, can we talk a little bit more about that career support? Uh, you know, how does the program help students attain the career transitions they're aiming for? Yeah, so there is a full careers provision here at Cambridge um, during your MBA, and it is a core part of the experience. Um, so the careers team will begin to work with our students before they've even arrived, you know, to prepare them for a return to study. You know, for many people, it's the first time they've you know, been in school for a long time, um, but particularly to get you started with the career development work. And this is really, really important, actually. And um, anyone that makes an application will see on the careers objectives essay. We actually ask students to tell us what they're doing now. I think, you know, a lot of 
people have this idea of an MBA as the golden ticket. You do it and then all your career dreams come true. And actually, it's a lot of hard work. And those students who do the best on the program and achieve their post-MBA career goals really graft, you know, um, you know, really hard work, really, really hard. Um, but, you know, you'll have the support of the careers team and the MBA program team. So the careers team's focus is to provide a program of professional development, sector and fu functional insights, career management skills, and recruitment opportunities. So the team works with a range of expert consultants from the different sectors um, to work with students individually. So the team is continually talking to recruiters, you know, to understand their requirements, which are, of, of, of course, obviously changing, um, and, you know, delivering over a thousand workshops, advisory sessions, and recruitment events throughout the year. Um, and again, I'm probably should have mentioned this earlier, but I think this is also one of our key differentiators. And it's not just for careers, actually. I, I Speaking to alumni and current students, I hear this a lot, just how, how open the business school is. You know, faculty walk around, you can stop and have a conversation with them. It's kind of a very personalized service, you know. So the fact that we have kind of 200 students, it does allow those close interactions between careers and individual students allow, you know, so we can give students the extra support they need to, to, to you know, to, to make that career jump or transition or, you know, impact or whatever it is they want to do. Absolutely. I think it's one of the benefits of a quote unquote smaller program uh, is the support that you're able to leverage and the relationships that you're able to build. Now, along with that smaller program, Emily, yeah, I would assume that placements are competitive and you started to talk about, uh, you know, the, the application process and essays. You're the head of MBA recruitment and admissions. Can you talk to us about what sets top candidates apart from everyone else? And, you know, what some of your, your top tips are for those who are listening that may be considering applying for uh, the MBA program at Cambridge Judge? Yeah, no, really great question. Um, I obviously get asked this a lot. <laughs> um, and actually, I often, often people often ask me, you know, what the ideal candidate is. And I find that quite a difficult question, because if you are really intent on building a diverse cohort, then you can't expect there to be one cookie cutter MBA that everyone needs to fit into. Um, so, of course, there are a few things we expect all our candidates to have. Um, and these very much form the kind of basic entry requirements, you know, such as academics and work experience. Um, we do want to see candidates who have progressed in their career. You don't necessarily have to have leadership experience. It's not a prerequisite for the Cambridge MBA. Um, but we are looking for candidates who have leadership potential. Uh, we'll come back to the favourite word at Cambridge, collaboration. <laughs> we are looking for candidates who have something to contribute, who want to be a part of a global MBA and network. And whilst I'm on the topic of collaboration, I will tell you probably the my top application tip on this um, and, and what stands out for a strong application um, and sets it apart from others. And I don't see it as often um, as I would like. Um, so when completing an application, and I guess this applies to any school, but thinking about what you're going to bring to the cohort, you obviously want to talk about the takeaways. You're doing an MBA for a reason. What do you want to do afterwards? But something that always stands out for me is someone who's kind of stopped and thought and about what actually am I going to bring? What is my contribution to the cohort? And what are my peers going to learn from me? Peer-to-peer -peer learning is so crucial at Cambridge. And if you've done your research into our program or listen to this podcast, you now know that collaboration is paramount. Um, you're going to do so much work in groups in the program. Um, so we do need 
to know that people are going to be team players. They're going to bring energy to collaborative learning. So when I see an applicant talk about what you know they'll bring to the program, CJBS, the wider university, just demonstrates that they've done their research and they understand the ethos and the values here at Cambridge. Um, and that to me always stands out as a really, really exceptionally strong uh, application. And also this applies to any of the schools, you, you know, you're, you're thinking about applying to, you know, you want to try and work in, you know, the school's values into your application and any of your essay responses. Emily, let's say I tick those boxes. Let's say I've really thought hard about uh, what I can contribute to the cohort. I've progressed in my career. This is the right time for me to make a, a career transition. Uh, I really feel strongly that folks will be able to learn from my experience and I'll be able to learn from their experience as well as we go through the program together. And now let's say I, I've heard you talk on today's podcast and I, I am sold on Cambridge and I'm sold on the judge experience. Can you just talk us through the application process? Uh, what are some of the, the deadlines? What does the timeline look like? Uh, are you able to share with us what the essay topics are? Uh, can you just prepare us for what's ahead if we're uh, planning to apply? Yeah, of course. So we have I five. We have I five. Excuse me. We have five application uh, rounds in each cycle. So we have just closed uh, for round two, um, and the next round that you can apply in is round three, which will be on Monday, the 9th of January, twenty twenty three. Goodness me, we're almost there. Crazy. I know. Um, our, our full list of application deadlines and dates um, is on the website, but I believe the last date is April, uh, round five. Um, so when you're applying, you will need to complete the uh, online application form. Just be aware, especially if you're applying to multiple schools, they're not short things. And obviously you want to be able to tailor each one to each school. So make sure you allow enough enough time to do, you know, to, to kind of, you know, give it give it everything. You'll need to provide all your supporting documents, you know, such as transcripts, Gmail or GRE. We don't have a preference um, and one professional reference. Just one little tip I would say um, is really try and ensure that you submit a complete application. It's not a great look if, an, if the admissions committee have to chase you up for, you know, missing documents or you haven't provided a Gmail or GRE. So just ensure that when you submit, you have everything um, ready to go. So for Cambridge, we have four essays on our application. I briefly mentioned the careers objectives one earlier. So this is essentially your your personal statement, your supporting statement. Um, and it will focus on your motivations for doing an MBA, your motivations for Cambridge specifically, um, your short and long term career go goals post MBA. Um, and again, like I mentioned, evidence of what you're doing now to make those career goals a reality. What steps are you already taking? Who are you speaking to? There are then three shorter essays that we have, um, which are really de really designed to, uh, to allow the admissions committee an insight into, you know, who you are beyond the CV and beyond the academics. Uh, my colleague always refers to it as uh, is the opportunity for you to allow the real person to jump out on the page. Um, and we just recommend that you approach the essays, you know, like you would any interview. What happened? What did you learn? And what was the outcome? In regard to the timeline after you've uh, made an application, so I always just say to candidates, remember the number three, just like any great fairy tale. Um, you can expect to hear from us uh, within three weeks of the application deadline as to whether we're inviting you to interview or you haven't been successful or potentially may um, put you on a short um, waiting list to be considered in the next round. If you are invited to interview, um, then that will take place around three weeks after that. 
And then finally, the final outcome um, will be sent around three weeks after the interviews take place. We'll be right back after this quick break. Join Strategy Sprint if you're looking to add relevant experience to your resume or figure out if consulting is right for you. As we all know, there's no substitute for real world experience, especially in today's increasingly competitive consulting job market. Strategy Sprint helps you grow key analytical skills, serve a real world client, and get MBB mentorship. In Strategy Sprint, you are staffed on a one week virtual consulting project in a team of six that is led by a former MBB consultant. During Project Week, which takes place from January 9th to 13th, 2023, you are serving a real-world client that is asking a strategic or growth-oriented problem. On the engagement, you own a work stream. You lead the client kickoff call. You conduct the analysis, you develop the final presentation, and you present it to the client at the end of Project Week. You can learn more or apply through the link in the show notes. There are only a few spots left. Emily, can you quickly give us some tips for the interview itself? Uh, what are you looking for as you're speaking with candidates face-to-face or face-to-face over Zoom, whatever it looks like? Uh, what can I do to set myself apart as I'm having the conversation with you or the broad radcom? Yeah, this is a really great question. So actually, I think we're quite unique in this. In fact, I think we may be the only school that do this. And this is a wider University of Cambridge historic rule, you know, uh, <laughs> been 800 years <laughs> they can't remember to uh, change them all um so faculty interview for us so everyone that studies at cambridge has to be interviewed by a faculty member um and actually i think i think students are a little bit nervous uh, applicants are a little bit nervous when they hear that but actually it's very much a conversation and candidates come out of the interviews and have just actually had really enjoyed the experience and had a really great time um and had really interesting conversations um I would say prepare like, again, prepare like you would any other interview. Read through your application. It might have been a while since you, you know, last looked at it. Just remind yourself what you said. Um, think of some questions, you know, you'd have for the faculty. Um, I think, you know, the faculty is very much just going to be gauging, you know, your fit for the program. Can you, you know, will you be able to manage the academic rigor of the program? Um, and one pitfall, I would say, and something to avoid um, is try not to... Um, Try, a lot of students think they have to impress the faculty member by knowing all about their research. You might not be interested in their research, and that's absolutely fine. In fact, I think the faculty would absolutely love it if you disagreed with them and you know had a healthy debate with them. They're really looking to see what you do with new information. You know, how do you manage when you're given a new inf- piece of information? What do you do with it? How you know how do you process that? And what are your thoughts and opinions? So very much just bring your authentic self. You know, you don't need to impress anyone. You know, if you are intent on Cambridge and you've, you know, you've kind of prepared properly, then that will come through in the interview. Amazing. That's a really, really unique model, having faculty conduct the interviews. Uh, you're right. I don't think I've heard of any other program doing that. Yeah, no, I, I do think we might be the only one. <laughs> Well, Emily, thanks so much for joining us today. Before I let you go, uh, I, I want to ask you just a lightning round of more fun, personal questions. We like to get to know you a little bit better uh, as a person here on Strategy Simplified. So I'm going to ask you uh, a couple of personal questions. Uh, I think there's going to be some nuggets of wisdom that we're able to extract from you, uh, you know, in these questions as well. But first one, you mentioned earlier um, your biggest rival in the UK, not by name. You said the other place. And I just have to, I, I have to ask 
you, is that a rule at Cambridge? Are you not allowed to name the other place? Uh, or or how, what is that like when you're talking about that rival? It's so funny, actually, because that's what they call it here. And it is a joke. And it's not that we can't say it, but it's just become known as the other place um, that they say that. So I think actually people are quite surprised to just... Cambridge and Oxford collaborate so much on everything. And actually, we have some MBA-specific events for Oxford and Cambridge MBAs. So I think there's actually a consulting um, MBA recruitment event that takes place in London that they both attend. So not quite the right... Not quite the rivalry people think on the MBA program, maybe, but when it comes to sport, absolutely. Um, we've had many MBAs that have taken place in the annual boat race against Oxford. We had a couple of MBAs a couple of years ago who did the varsity match at Twickenham, the rugby varsity match, which was amazing because all the cohort went along to support them, which was just like a really, really great experience for everyone. So, yes, I think when it when it comes to the important things like rugby and boat racing, then yes, the rivalry is very much there. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. Uh, Emily, uh, is there one piece of career or life advice you would go back and share with your 18 or 21 year old self? You, you haven't really started your career yet. Uh, is there one piece of advice you'd give yourself that maybe uh, a young listener of ours can benefit from? Do you know, I absolutely love this. This is one of our essay questions. <laughs> on the on the uh, MBA application and I've often thought about how I would how I would answer this if I was making an application so thank you for turning the tables and putting me in the hot seat um so for me I think if I was speaking to my 18 year old self and she would listen um I would probably a bit a bit obvious but um I'll explain it a bit more I'd probably tell her it's okay to fail again and again and again and this is something I did learn way too late in life um and was actually something in my personal life um that helped me to learn that I've since been able to then apply to my career and professional development and everything else I kind of you know apply myself to so um I like to climb I started about 6 years ago um, and I remember when I first started I was so conscious of falling off the wall and getting embarrassed you know like what if other people saw me and oh my gosh what if they laugh um and it took me a while to realize that actually who cares and no one's paying you any attention at all everyone's you know focused on their own on their own development um, so once I got over this, I realized, um, you know, it's okay to fall and to keep falling because um, that's the space where you grow, right? When you make mistakes, because you're the only person that is responsible for your own journey. And with de- and with development, whether personal or professional, is very rarely linear. So every time you learn, you learn, you know, every time you fall, you learn a little something that you can apply to the next stage. And eventually, you know, you'll get it right and reach the top if you want to keep the climbing metaphor going. Um but I actually also feel that when you've when you've worked at something to achieve it, it actually feels better than something coming naturally um, mm. and getting it right the first time. So that would be my advice. Do you have a old me. Do you have a favorite place that you've climbed? Favorite place that I've climbed? Oh, Cape Town. <laughs> oh, I love Cape. That's I on love- my. That's on my bucket list for sure. It's probably my favorite place in the world. I've been there a couple of times and I just absolutely love it. The people, the food, oh, the scenery, mountains, sea, everything right there. It's lovely. Definitely. Going. Okay. So what? So what's the next stop on your travel bucket list? Yeah, a great question. Um, so I'm really lucky. I've been able to travel a lot. Um, but I guess one region I haven't explored as much as I like is Asia. And I guess on top of that list would have to be Japan. For many reasons, not just the obvious stuff, you know, the food, seeing the cherry blossoms, 
but probably for more nerdy stuff. Um, so I love Studio Ghibli. Um, I've also really recently gotten into reading contemporary um, Japanese literature, translated. I do not speak Japanese. Um, um, and as with most things with me, climbing. So climbing is a huge sport in Japan. Um, I'm not so sure if you saw the Olympics or anyone watches any of the IFSC, um, but there are some incredibly inspiring female Japanese climbers, such as Akina Gucci. Um, so yeah, it sounds really silly to say, but I, if I were to Tokyo, the second thing I'd do after the studio give the museum would probably be to go to a climbing gym. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know it's a passion. Yeah. <laughs> and then, Emily, is there one piece of content that you're reading, watching, listening to right now that's inspiring you or that you'd just like to share with the world? Yeah, good question. So I'm an avid reader, mostly fiction, um, but occasionally I do dabble in nonfiction. And when I do, it tends to be um, biographies or sport climbers. You probably guessed it, particularly climbers. Um, but things that very much focus on mindset, resilience and zeal in, you know, in the face of adversity, you can physically be the strongest climber in the world. But if you do not have the right mindset, then you will not be able to climb at your best. Um, a couple of books I've read recently um, that maybe really stood out to me. So Tommy Caldwell's The Push, uh, very much his memoir about um, and the story behind when he ascended the Dormall with Kevin Jorgensen in 2015. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but he sawed off his finger when he was younger. Um, and he talks about the recovery process and how he had to relearn to climb after the injury and something that everyone told him he wouldn't ever be able to do again. Um, and another book, which is fantastic and definitely read, is called No Picnic on Mount Kenya. So this is a true story about three Italian prisoner of wars in a British camp in East Africa in the Second World War who escaped from the camp to climb Mount Kenya only to then break back into it in the camp afterwards. Um, so sorry for any spoilers on that one. Um, I mean, that would have been a great feat in any circumstances, but all the more epic that, it, you know, 1940s, they had limited climbing gear and they were massively malnourished, you know, being prisoner of wars. Um, so, yeah, that's a really great story about resilience, teamwork um, and, yeah, just like the human spirit. Emily, I've got two new books to add to my list. <laughs> Emily Brierley is the head of MBA recruitment and admissions at Cambridge Judge Business School. She joins us from her office in sunny Cambridge. Emily, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks, Aman. Thank you for having me on the podcast. It's been really great to chat to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Strategy Simplified. If you like what you heard, leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'll see you next time.